Let's stand to honor the reading of the word of God. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 8 to verse 33. My son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother. For they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head and chains about thy neck. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If they say, come with us, let us lay wait for blood. Let us lack privily for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole, as those that go down into the pit. We shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us. Let us all have one purse. My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path. For their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bed. And they lay wait for their own blood. They lack privily for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone that is greedy of gain which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. Wisdom crieth without, she uttered her voice in the street. She cried in the chief place of concourse, in the openings of the gates. In the city she uttered her words, saying, How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and the fools hate knowledge. Ten you, at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you, because I have called and ye, and ye refused. I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded, but ye have set at naught all my counsel, and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as the whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the symbol shall slay them and the prosperity of the fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkened unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear. Amen. Turn to Proverbs chapter 1. And we're saying Proverbs is God's handbook of wisdom. And today I want to speak a message to you. Someone is calling you. Someone is calling you. There are many voices in this world calling for our attention. Young people, adults, all of us, someone is calling you. 
And of course, what the alphabet is to reading and what numerals are to math, what notes are to music, so is the fear of the Lord and wisdom to our walk, our worship of God, our salvation and our service. Really, these two phrases, Old Testament phrases, really, although they're in the New Testament, obviously, but in this Old Testament context before Christ, the way I see it is that the fear of the Lord, and we talked a little bit about it last week, which is that joyful wonder, that joyful sense of awesomeness before the glory of God, the greatness of God, and causes us, you know what the fear of the Lord causes us to do? It makes us realize there's a God to whom we must bow and respect and honor and obey and have a relationship with Him. So the fear of the Lord really focuses us in on our relationship. The fear of the Lord is a a strong confidence. There's a loving and powerful God who loves me. The fear of the Lord leads me to love God, to know God, to serve God. We talked a little bit about that. It focuses us, though, on our relationship with God. So in some kind of ways, to me, the the Old Testament phrase, fear of the Lord, relates to more our our relationship with the Lord. And that begins with salvation, of course. You don't have a relationship with the Lord unless you're saved. And then we talked about wisdom and how wisdom is that skillful application of what we know about God. So wisdom is when we take what we know about God and live it out. You could say you know about God, oh, that God, like, like Cain could say, oh, I, I know God loves me, but then he, he was not wise, he killed his brother. He, he would be deceived to think he could love God and kill his brother. Wisdom is the skillful application of, of my personal knowledge with God to the moral and to the complex realities of life. The focus on wisdom is really our growth into Christ-likeness. And the focus, of course, is Christ Himself, because He is, in Christ are hid all the treasures of wisdom. Jesus is wisdom. And so when we talk about wisdom, we're saying we want to be like Jesus. And James tells us the seven pillars of wisdom in James 3, where he says the wisdom that is from above is first pure, like Jesus, and peaceable, like Jesus, and gentle, like Jesus. Jesus is wisdom. And so wisdom is really Christ-likeness. It's, I can almost equate it to being filled with the Spirit in a New Testament sense. So I could equate the fear of the Lord really beginning with our relationship, beginning with salvation, and then wisdom is really our growth and kind of like what we would call the fullness of the Spirit. And when you think about it, James 3.17, which gives a, a list of those character qualities, right? The wisdom that is from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle. And it's a similar list, if you will, to what Peter listed in Second Peter 1 when he talked about add to your faith, right? Virtue and knowledge and temperance. And it's similar to Paul's list when he says this is the evidence of the Spirit of, of, of God. Love, joy, peace. You know, so they each... James... Paul and Peter each have their lists of godliness. And they're really all related to us being like Jesus. Amen? So, let's pray. Father, help us now as we look into Your Word. Give us Your grace to hear Your voice and follow You in the fear of the Lord and in wisdom. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, someone is calling you. 
So Terrell Stoglin grew up in Phoenix, Arizona. He went to the University of Maryland to play basketball. He had a good freshman year, and in his sophomore year, he was even better. He was, he was one of the top ten scorers in the nation at the University of Maryland as a sophomore. He led the ACC. For those of you who know college sports, the ACC is a big-time basketball conference. And University of Maryland has actually won, you know, the March Madness and the Final Four and in recent years under the coach that they had. So Terrell was playing in big-time college basketball, led the ACC in scoring. But his relationship, what happened after his freshman year, the, the coach that recruited him retired and they got a new coach. And that relationship with the new coach was kind of up and down. He had, did have some issues. And I don't know all the reasons. I didn't really discuss them. Uh, I, I couldn't figure out fully. But he was suspended by the University of Maryland from playing in his junior year. So he found out just before the draft so within two hours of the deadline of the NBA draft, he applied to be drafted by the NBA. And he got an agent. And when he was introduced to his agent, the agent introduced him literally into demonic witchcraft practices to ease his mind in order for him to be successful. Now, Terrell was raised in a Christian home, but he, of course, as a young, boy, young man, you know, he was trying to figure out his way. Well, after, so he didn't get drafted. He didn't get drafted by the NBA. So he went overseas to play. And this is about nine years ago. He's 30 years old now. So within those last nine or ten years of playing, he's played in 12 different countries, five different continents, from France to Ukraine to Poland to Italy to Egypt. And now he's playing in Morocco. After he didn't get drafted, he went into a depression because a lot of his friends that he played with were getting drafted and making millions of, millions of dollars in contracts. And he said he just got depressed. So there I was on the plane on Wednesday, coming home from Phoenix, and I was studying my commentary on Proverbs. And I was reading my commentary. I was in the last seat in the plane, and I was on the aisle, and across the aisle from me, this young man said, what are you reading there? I said, oh, this is a commentary on the book of Proverbs. He said, oh, that's my favorite book. And so we began to talk, and it was Terrell Stoglin. And we had the most amazing conversation. And he really has a heart to, to live for God. And he's been saved, but he did get away from the Lord. And this is what he told me. He actually texted me. I've been texting him a little bit. But he says, basketball is easy. It's the spiritual battles I need prayer for. And so I even told him, we're going to pray for you in our church. Pray for Terrell. He says, the enemy is always throwing distractions at me, but the Lord is going to give me wisdom. And he actually had a situation when he... Because he was going to Morocco. That's where I met him. He's, he's going to Morocco. The NBA sponsors a tournament. It's called the African Basketball League. And he's on one of those teams. He had a write-up in last year's uh, ESPN in that particular tournament. And ESPN wrote him up because he scored 40 points in a particular game. And, and no one had scored 40 points in this African Basketball League. The guy's a scorer, honestly. He's a scorer. You know, and he's a point guard. And he could shoot and he could score. So, but pray for his spiritual battles. 
and that he would walk the right road. Because the reason he loves Proverbs is the very reason of what we're talking about tonight, to this morning. Is there are voices calling to you. And some of those voices are good voices, and some of them are not. And we need to follow the Lord in our life. And it is amazing how God has worked in Terrell's heart and how he has studied. He loves to study the Word of God. And he's on a journey right now that's taken him all around the world. And it's really through that and working through the depression of not getting drafted and of disappointments in life that caused him to really turn back to the Lord. So here we are on the plane. <laughs> Just to let you know... I said, can I take your picture? I, I want to tell the church. He said, is it okay? Can I tell the church? He said, yeah, go ahead. So I had his permission to even share a little bit. But pray for this brother. I actually went online. I saw some of his uh, YouTube uh, things. And uh, it's very, actually, he has had a fascinating journey. So, someone is calling you. Wherever you go, there are voices. Calling us. And I want us to look at three of these voices that may be calling you that we see in this passage. And the first one is a good voice. Ought to be a good voice. The voice of parental instruction. And based on this text, I say we need to regard the voice of wise parents who are preparing their children for the dangers of the world that they face. So here we see in Proverbs 1, he says, My son, the first thing he says is, Hear the instruction of your father. Now why is that word instruction important? Look at verse 3. What is instruction connected with in the very second verse of Proverbs? What is instruction connected with? You could talk to me. In Proverbs chapter 1, actually verse 2. It's connected to what? Wisdom. So if we don't hear instruction, we're not going to get Wisdom. So he says, hear the instruction of your father. Now, we're, we're assuming that this instruction is godly instruction of the father. And then he says, forsake not the law of thy mother. So the first voice a child really hears, a young man or woman will really hear, is the voice of who? Their parents. How important is the home? And so right here in the book of Proverbs as well, it lays the foundation of the importance of the family. And he says, hear the teaching, the law, forsake not the law of thy mother. Now, and I thought, well, what law is that? Well, if you go to the very end of Proverbs in the virtuous woman passage, it talks about that godly woman. And it says, in her tongue is the law of what? Remember, ladies? Kindness. The law of kindness. So forsake not that law of your mother that is rooted in kindness and mercy. The mercy of God. And then the instruction of your father that will make you wise. And I thought of how important this is for our parents and parenting principles. I'll just quickly lay out three parenting principles that I see from this passage right here. Is that we see, first of all, that the parents are united in their counsel. The father doesn't say to his son now, son, listen to my instruction, but now your mother, don't, don't, don't pay attention to what she says. No. No, he's basically saying, here's my instruction and listen to your mother, son. <laughs> you know, follow her too. 
So we see the unity of the home, but we see the headship of the father and we see the authority of the mother here and throughout the book because every child has a mother and a father. And we need to be godly parents so our children, if they hear our instruction, if they hear the instruction of the father, will be what? Wise. And if they hear the law of their mother, they will, they will experience what? Kindness. That's what parents need to be united in their counsel. The second thing I see in, in this, just about the parents and the instruction of the parental instruction, the voice, we're talking about the voice of parental instruction. And I see that, oh, united in, in their counsel. There we go. The second thing is, parents need to be wise in their appeal. So what do I mean by this? Notice how they motivate the son right off the bat. They motivate him with reward. Because that's what he's going to be tempted with out in the world. And you know what really is in the heart of every child? I think about it when you were young. People would ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? And most children don't say, well, I just want to hang out at home and just watch TV. Children have a warrior mentality. They have a champion's heart. Children want to do something great. They want to, they want to achieve something that will be stupendous, right? That's in the heart of a child. So parents need to grasp that and, and teach the wisdom of God with that. So I see here that the parents are wise in their appeal to their son. They talk to him as someone who wants to be a champion. Because look what they say to him. They say, don't forsake the instruction and the, the law of your mother because this, they will be an ornament of grace unto thy head. And the word ornament is literally a head wreath worn by a champion in an athletic contest. That's why I have that picture. That's, that's an ornament on the head of these young ladies who won an Olympic medal. So we need to appeal to our children. That's our children. Our children want to be champions. They want to do something great. And we need to say to them, obey the Lord. Follow in the fear of the Lord and in the wisdom of the Lord so you can be the champion God has made you to be. You'll lose out if you don't. So they appeal wisely to their son. And they say, hey, look. And, and then when I think about the second part, he says of this, he says, there'll be chains about thy neck. That's a symbol of honor and obviously a chains and uh, speaking of something of value, something of material worth, of riches. I mean, and that's what he's going to be tempted with. We'll see in a moment. He's going to be tempted with, with, with riches. He says, if you want real riches, follow the Lord. Walk in the fear of the Lord and the wisdom of God. And you'll have the true security as this chapter ends. What do we all really want? The very last verse. What does it say? Read the last, last verse. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from the fear of evil. And so when I think of this ornament or this wreath of a champion and the chains of someone who has prospered in the world, young people are looking for identity and security. And the way we find truly who we are and really experience the safety and strength in, the, in this world is not in, the, in, 
doing sinful things, but it's in the Lord himself. The third thing about this is these parents, are, this father and mother, are shrewd to the cultural dangers their son faces. And what kind of struck me about this as when I've read this in the past, where he talks about, like in verse 10 and following, my son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If they say, come with us, let us lay wait for blood. Let us lurk privily for the innocent without cause. In other words, let us sneak up behind somebody and let us shed their blood and steal from them and get their riches. And, and guess what? We're going to find precious substance. We're going to fill our houses with all these riches, basically, is, is what the thieves say. But what hit me was, it's not the thieves talking. Who's actually doing the talking here? The father. And he's basically role-playing, if you will. He's like role-playing, and he's developing a scenario of what's going to happen when his kid gets out in the world. This is what you're going to face. This is the world you're going into. So the father is shrewdly preparing his son for the dangers that they're going to face. And so parents cannot be naive about the evil that's out there in the world. They have to prepare their children for the voices they're going to hear out on the streets, in the school, in the colleges. They need to know the distracting voices of the world and the dangerous choices every son will have to make on his own. There are distracting voices in this world that will turn us away from the Lord and dangerous choices. And the father is anticipating them and he's preparing his son to face them. Does that make sense? Wow, that's good. This is shrewd parenting. Now, as we read on in the book of Proverbs, and I, I hate to be so blunt, but I'm just going to be blunt. The two great, there are others, but the two greatest dangers that the son is going to face and the choices that he could make that could lead him to hell. We're talking about life and death, okay? When we're talking about training our children, we're talking about heaven and hell. We're talking about life and death. And the two greatest choices are simply this. Fast money and easy sex. And those are the things he, he visits again and again. That could turn the heart of a young man with all of his strength and, young, and youth and testosterone to fast money and easy sex. So the parents know what voices their son will face. Now, here's the thing. This was the culture of this parent. And, and he, he understands his culture. We need to actually sit down. And you have to think about what are the voices. And I challenge you parents, think about this. What are the voices that your children are going to hear today? It might not be exactly like this. But they will hear distracting lies that will seek to turn them away from the Lord. And then you have to anticipate them and role play with them, if you will. Say, sit down, you know, sit your children down and, and say, you know, what are you going to say if somebody says to you, are you sure you're a boy? To your son. <laughs> because that's what, that's what they're going to be faced with today and things like that. Even in kindergarten. So, parents who are shrewd to danger, parents who are wise in their appeal, appealing to the dreams and to the warrior hearts of their children. You know, I, 
Write that down, parents. Your child has a warrior heart. He wants to fight battles. He wants to win. He wants to succeed. He wants to do something great. We have to appeal to them on that level. And then moms and dads, we have to be united in counsel. The second voice is the voice of greedy sinners. And here I say, refuse those voices. Now, the voice of parental instruction, regard them. The voice of greedy sinners, refuse them. Now, I've already outlined a few, a little of this, and you could read it, I think, and it's, it, it, it is very clear what the temptation is here. But let me just ask you this. If somebody called you tonight and said, hey, psst, let's meet tonight at midnight, and we're going to go on a killing spree, and then we're going to kill that person, and we're going to rob them, and we'll split the goods, we'll split the, what we steal. Now, are you going to be tempted to do that? Probably. I hope not. I hope not. Okay. Now, some people are tempted to do that. And I don't want to say that that's not a problem for some people. Because this is almost like a gang mindset that the writer of Proverbs is dealing with. But some people aren't tempted to join a gang. Or if somebody wanted you to join the mob and shake people down. Well, a lot of people maybe aren't tempted with that. So just because we read a passage of Scripture and say, well, I'm not tempted with this thing about robbing somebody. I'm not a violent person. I don't really have never thought about killing anybody to, to steal from them in order to steal. I mean, that's just not me. But wait a minute. Don't just dismiss the Scripture and say, oh, it's not for me. Because actually there's something else here that I believe is for everybody. Because, in a way, the violence and the murder is a means to a goal of something that we all struggle with. And it's at the end of the passage. And what is it? Verse 19. What does it say there? It says, so are the ways of everyone that is greedy of gain. Greedy of... In other words, so what's the problem in the heart if somebody's greedy of gain? They're what? They, what's, one of the, what's the last of the commandments? Thou shalt not covet. So the father is really dealing with his son about this matter of covetousness. Now, different people will use different means to get the, what they want, but ultimately, if they have covetousness, they will knock out everybody who will stand in their way. So this first part of Proverbs deals with the sin of covetousness. And this is important because the sin of covetousness will lead a person to break just about every other commandment, when you think about it. The sin of covetousness has long tentacles and will lead people to have other gods. It will lead them to dishonor their parents. It will lead them to lie. It will lead them to steal. It will lead them to adultery. It will lead them to basically break every other commandment. The sin of covetousness just kind of like reaches up to the other nine commandments and just... Breaks them all. So, watch out for foolish sinners and scoffers that speak to you with a covetous heart, with a greedy soul. That's why I say this is the voice of greedy sinners. So what is the temptation here? The temptation is really a temptation for quick money. If sinners entice thee, consent thou not. The word entice is to deceive. If people are out to deceive you, 
And there are deceptive voices in this world. And again, I love the way the parent devises this scenario. Because again, in verse 11, he says, If they say, and get, come with us. And now notice the pronouns. Let us wait. Let us lurk. Let us swallow. Verse 12. And then he says, we will find all precious substance. We will fill our houses. And then he says, cast in your lot among us. And this, is, and this is amazing. Then this guy who's talking about murder and stealing, he says, if you join us, we'll split it even. You're going to trust him? <laughs> I mean, you're going to trust a liar and a murderer? A thief and a murderer? But we can apply this to gangs. Because if, when the family's broken down, young people naturally gravitate to some group of some kind in order to find identity and security. That's what children are looking for. That's what the home should help provide, identity and security. But when there's no home and the home is broken, and by the way, our culture, our culture is taking a sledgehammer to the home to absolutely demolish it. We need families. We need strong moms. We need stronger dads. We need dads who will love their families, lead their families. You know, one of the reasons why people don't like the Bible, there's, there's a number, but why this world doesn't like the Bible? You know what they say? They say, oh, the Bible is patriarchal. You know, it's men are, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a book about men and it, it puts women down. The Bible doesn't put women down. The Bible realizes, however, the role and leadership of the man in the home. But it also recognizes the absolute, essential, vital importance of the woman in perfect balance. Ungodly companions are out there and they, want, they will seek to tempt you with unjust methods to get rich quick. This world, will, the world's voices, horrible voices they are, will tempt our young people to shortcut their way to riches and gain. You can have it quick. Just follow us. And you will have the security you're looking for. And we will give you the identity. You will have identity, man. You will have those riches. And we're going to fill our houses with all of this substance we're going to steal. So the parent is warning his child about what here? Ungodly companions. Now, again, just take a step back. This is the first chapter in Proverbs. And the importance of ungodly companionship. How important is that for parents to teach their children? And for all of us, watch out who you hang out with. Don't hang out with the wrong kind of people that are cursing God, that are getting drunk, that are using drugs, that are talking about their next sinful exploit. And what other book begins like this? The book of Psalms. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. So the, the book of Psalms begins almost in the same place as Proverbs. Watch out for ungodly companions who use shortcut, unjust methods to get rich quick. And the gang doesn't have to be like a street gang like the Crips or the Bloods or the Latin Kings or the Nietas. 
the gang could be a group of people that go out to drink after, you know, on Friday night after work. The gang could be a group of LGBTQ people who are really just exploring their sexuality. Be very careful. The gang could be a bunch of people who say, hey, let's go play Mega Millions and buy the new scratch-off games. Let's get rich quick. I know the numbers. Whatever. There's all kinds of ways to be covetous in this society of ours. And we need to think about the dangers that our children and that we also face. And when I think of unjust methods, see, because what is the point of the book of Proverbs? Again, if you go back to verse 3 of chapter 1, what does it say there? To receive the child, the young person, is to receive the instruction of what? What does it say in chapter 1, verse 3? To receive the instruction of? Wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. And we said last week that justice is doing the right thing. Judgment is treating people the right way. And equity is judging the situation in a way that's godly. So if you're going to go out and steal and rob and murder and shed blood, is that treating people right? (laughs) Doing the right thing? And, And dealing fairly in that circumstance? No. It's a complete breakage of of that. So watch out for those who tempt greedy sinners who tempt with easy money. And then watch out for greedy sinners who set a trap for themselves. So this is they say the most one of the most difficult verses in this chapter is verse 17, where the writer says, Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. They lay wait, and they lay wait for their own blood. They lurk privily for their own lives. So, verse 17, there are different ways to look at it, but here's my take on this verse, and my understanding of this verse, is that the scorners, the sinners, who are enticing this son to follow them, are actually setting a trap for themselves. But they're so unwise and so foolish, they don't see the trap they're setting for themselves. Now when the writer says, surely in vain, the net is spread in the sight of any bird. Now, I have here birds. And here is a trap. A box with a stick. And there are four birds eating the food under that. Now, I read that verse and I said, surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. But that's not, that trap is not set in vain, right? That's going to get to birds. I saw it. Actually, it was a YouTube video. All four birds got trapped. But don't worry, they got away. Nobody died, okay? So what does this mean, surely in vain the net is spread in the sight? I think it's in the sight of any bird. So, but if, so if I set up this trap... And I stood right by it and said, Okay, birds, here I am. Come on, here's the trap, here's the trap. I think that's what he's saying. In other words, no bird is going to go in that trap if I'm standing there like that. It would be a trap set in vain. But that's what these guys have done. In other words, if I went out there and just stood by the trap and trying to coax the birds into the box, the birds know, I'm not going anywhere near that box, man. I'm not that stupid. What do you think I am? A dumb bird? 
I'm a smart bird. I got enough sense to avoid that obvious trap. That's it. Even a bird has enough sense to avoid an obvious trap. You have to trick them. But these thieves are setting up a trap for this son that's obvious. Don't do it. It's a trap. And not only that, what bird do you know is going to set a trap for themselves? Do you think these birds said, hey, let's trap ourselves today? Yeah, you, you put the box up and we'll put, and we'll put this... No. Birds aren't going to trap themselves. But that's what these guys have done. They've set up a trap to shed somebody else's blood. They think they're going to shed somebody else's blood and steal and get rich quick. But guess what? Look what it says. So are they, they says, and they wait privily for their own blood. Whose blood is going to get shed? The thieves. It's going to backfire. The trap was set for them. They're setting a trap for themselves. Young person, you want to walk in the foolishness of this world and not in the wisdom of God. You are walking into a trap that is obvious. That's what the father is telling his son. Don't do it. Even a bird has better sense. A lot of traps in our society people are falling into. We need God's wisdom. The third voice is this, the voice of divine wisdom. So someone is calling you. There's the voice of parental instruction. We need to be wise as parents to be united in counsel and appeal to our children as champions with champion hearts. And be shrewd. Really, I challenge you parents. Really, think, and I I know I said I want to review. Think about the dangers of our world. And write them down. And prayerfully pray how you could show your children the dangers they're walking into in this world. Because I I, I believe the, the dangers that parents face now with their children are far greater than even what I faced. And and what we faced was difficult. It's getting more and more difficult. So, the voice of parental instruction, the voice of greedy sinners, tempting with quick money, setting up traps for themselves. And thirdly, the voice of divine wisdom. This is a beautiful slide because it shows... In a sense, and it illustrates what this verse is even saying in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20, where it says, Wisdom crieth without. She utters her voice in the streets. She cries in the chief places of concourse, in the openings of the gates. There it is. Wisdom is crying out in the public place with passion, with patience, with power. Wisdom is addressing Everyone in the public square. That's the idea. So, I don't know if this is exactly what's going on, but the way I see the progression here, I see the father is talking to the son in the family. And he's not sure. You know, he uses that word, and we'll see it again in a moment. Some are simple. That's their undecided. Some children are just, I don't know, Dad. I'm not sure about that, Ma. I don't know if I'm going to follow Jesus or not. My friends, they, they were telling me what they thought about Jesus and they didn't believe in Him. And so children, sometimes they're undecided. They have to figure things out. So maybe this son has listened to the father, but now he's kind of being tempted by these, shrew- these fools who are 
setting a trap for themselves. So he goes out into the, into the city, by the city gates, where the, the men are making decisions, where life is hustling and bustling all around. But even when he gets out there, he cannot escape the love of God's voice. You can't get away from God in this world. He'll meet you first in the home. And He'll meet you out on the streets, in the, in the gates of the city, in the hustle and bustle of buying and selling. Is She's crying in the chief places of concourse is the idea there. That's awesome. Aren't you glad that God has many ways to get our attention? He cries from the gates of the city. Her voice is in the streets. So we see the voice of divine wisdom. And here's another thing about wisdom that is very mysterious. And we talked just a moment ago how some people view the Bible as just a patriarchal book and heavy-weighted on male leadership. And obviously, male leadership is important. But we've also said yes. Women are absolutely essential. Godly women. Without godly women, a society will crumble. And here we see that wisdom is personified not as a man, but in this chapter and in many places in Proverbs, as a female. Wisdom is personified in the feminine gender. Look what it says. Verse 21. She cries in the chief place of concourse. Now that really mystified me. Because in chapter 8, wisdom is clearly... A divine attribute. And even here, wisdom is a divine attribute. Wisdom speaks as God Himself. Wisdom doesn't say, thus saith the Lord. Wisdom says, this is the Word of the Lord. Wisdom speaks directly in a divine Word. So I'm like, how can wisdom be female? Well, I tried to find a good answer for it. I don't think I did. But I will say what I found from a a commentary that I've enjoyed so far. He says that wisdom, the word itself is a feminine noun. So because it's a feminine noun, it uses the feminine gender to talk of wisdom. Thus could be one thing. But the second possibility was given to me by my even more wise wife than a commentary. Because Debbie said, and this, this is next week's message, actually, wisdom has to be pursued and every woman likes to be pursued. So maybe, maybe that's it. That's what Debbie said. If you don't like that, that that's her. No, no, I'm just kidding. I thought that was pretty good, Deb. I thought that was good. But wisdom must be pursued. But I found it amazing, though. But, but hear what we can say about wisdom here in this chapter, and especially in chapter 8, where it's almost the whole chapter is, is about wisdom speaking, is that wisdom is divine attribute of God. And we know that God is a male. God is a he. You know, God is a masculine gender. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not she. Okay, so I want to be very clear about that. God is not feminine. Jesus Christ is the man, Christ Jesus. But wisdom is an attribute of God, and wisdom speaks with the female gender. So it's a It's a mystery. But wisdom here cries publicly and passionately, transparently, with nothing to hide, no secrets, addresses all who will hear, 
and cries out like a preacher. I'm going to hit these fast in verse 20 and 21. She cries, she utters her voice in the streets like a preacher. She utters her words. And then she, she counsels like a parent. And she says, how long, how long? And wisdom addresses three fools here, the three kinds of fools. Are you with me here? The three fools are the simple fool, the basic fool, the scoffing fool. Now, the son in this passage is more the simple. And the idea of that simple, as we've said, is they're immature, they're undeveloped. They've not embraced wisdom, but they haven't fully rejected it. They're unsure. They haven't decided on what is really right, their core values. They're, they're still up in the air about some things. And so wisdom says, how long, in verse 22, how long, you simple ones, will you love your simplicity, your undecided immaturity? You can't stay there, is the point. You can be undecided for a time. But if you go into adulthood undecided, you know where you're going to end up? As a fool. Because there's no, t- there's no third way. There's either wisdom or foolishness. And in a sense, there's either salvation or damnation. There's no third way. So you have to decide, oh simple one, if you don't choose to serve the Lord, you will be on the path of the fool very soon. Then the basic fool, he's rejected the call of wisdom. He says, fools hate knowledge. And then there's the scoffing fool in the middle, the scorner. He's the one that's basically too far gone. And he's the one who will recruit others to follow in his foolishness. So wisdom cries like a preacher, counsels like a parent, and then calls out like a prophet in verse 23. And at the heart of this passage... Wisdom says, turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. And notice the in there, unto you, unto you. It's wisdom is beseeching. Wisdom is begging. Turn, turn. Unto you I will pour out. And the picture here is like a gushing river. Like a, what they call in Israel a wadi. When there's a, a, a rain and they have these times of rains and it fills up the streams and they, they just overflow and they rush. And that's the idea. The Holy Spirit will give us a rushing of His, of His wisdom, a rushing of His power. Turn you, turn to me and I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. We were talking about that in our adult Bible fellowship. We need the Holy Spirit to, to have a heart and a hunger for the words, and then ultimately to get understanding of the words and applying them to our life. We need the Holy Spirit. And so, again, in this passage, it's wisdom crying. And the Father is instructing the Son about what He's going to face. Wisdom is going to keep crying to you. Wisdom is... that skillful application of knowledge... The character of Jesus Christ. Wisdom. I will pour into you my words. I will pour out my spirit unto you. Wisdom cries. But then the rest of this passage, if you don't listen, 
and you go out into the world and everything backfires on you and you're like, oh, wow, I don't like the consequences of my sin. And then you just, in a shallow, super, I, I believe this passage is talking about a shallow, superficial turning back to God. Shallow, superficial, insincere repentance. And look what God says. Wisdom calls like a prophet. And God says through wisdom here. And notice, and mark this in your Bible. Look at verse 26. What does it say? God says, I will laugh at your calamity. Verse 26. I will mock when your fear comes. I will laugh. I will mock. And you will cry to me. You will call to me. Verse 28. I will not answer. Those three I wills of God to the stubborn fool, to the scoffer who's rejected and who's then now tasting the fruit of his sinful behaviors. So what do we say about this? First of all, truth has a sharp edge. And God's love doesn't dull the edge of truth. Truth has a sharp edge and wisdom will not dull it. Number two, God is not a genie in a bottle you can call to just bail you out of the mess you've made. God is not a genie who will just bail you out of your reckless decisions. Don't tempt God. Remember when the devil tempted Jesus and to, to jump off the temple, right? That was one of the... The devil tempted Jesus to jump off... off the, and he used the Scripture verse to, to trick him. And Jesus said to the devil... You shall not tempt the Lord thy God. In that context, the idea of tempting is to live in such a reckless behavior and then when you're falling off the temple, say, Oh God, please forgive me now. No, you're going to fall. You're going to hit the ground. Now, what does it mean that wisdom, that God in His wisdom laughs and mocks when your fear and calamity come? Well, God is not willing that any should perish. He only laughs at their calamity because it shows the triumph of truth. So when I, what I see here is that God is only laughing because His truth and moral order is intact. God, this is a laugh not in the delight of the death of the fool, but it's a rejoicing in His victory of the truth. God's righteousness will stand. His moral laws, His moral order will prevail. So God laughs in victory. But think about this. And I don't know how you'd preach this if you had to preach it, but this is kind of tough. Because look what he says in verse 28. He says, Then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. I'm like, why not? Why, why can't they call on you, God, and find you? And seek you even early and... And this, this is what God says. Now watch. Read carefully. Verse 29. Because they hated knowledge. They did not choose the fear of the Lord. That's what we're talking about. They didn't choose the fear of the Lord. They didn't want my counsel. They didn't want to hear what I had to say. I shut up. I'll do it my own way. 
They despised my reproof. They treated God like a car. They kicked at God. Stupid car. And so, kind of like Saul. Remember King Saul? He finally turned back to the Lord and said, Okay, okay, I'll obey, I'll obey. Honor me now. Save my reputation. I made a mess of things. I don't want people to think I'm, I'm like this. I want them to think good about me. <laughs> so many, and here's the point. Many times, people turn back to God just because they're eating the consequences of their own behavior. And they're not turning back to God because He's the God of all knowledge. And because He's the God of, of wise reproof. And He's the God who, who is worthy uh, to be feared and should receive glory. They're not turning back to God because of who He is. They're turning to God because of what they want others to think about them. And God says, no, that's, that's not how this works. And that's why it's very important to come to God when you're young. It's not impossible to be saved when you're older. But it gets harder. It gets harder! Come to Jesus today! Don't put it off another day because you know what? You'll go out there and make another foolish decision and that foolish decision will have bad consequences. And if you just turn back to God because you're eating the fruit of your consequences, God says, I will laugh at you. I will mock you. I will not hear you. And I don't know anything more serious than that. Wow. Listen to the true voices. Listen to the wise, kind, loving voices of your parents when their counsel is coming to you from God's Word. Don't listen to the scoffers who are just full of greed and covetousness and murder in their hearts. Listen to divine wisdom. Return. Return to the Lord now. Or you will regret the results of your foolishness. But it could be too late when you turn back to God with insincerity and insincere repentance. So, just as I close, look at verse 33 again. It says, Whoso hearkeneth unto me, will you listen? He says, Shall dwell safely. And shall be quiet from fear of evil. So let us follow the Lord. Let us love Jesus Christ because of all He's done for us. Because what, you know, what we're really looking for in this life, what we're really looking for in this life, which is, who am I, Lord? What am I supposed to do here? We're looking for a sense of identity. You know, this world, that's all they really talk about, identity, but they're talking about it in all these wrong ways. But we need to see our identity in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ. 
that I am made in the image of God, but fallen, but it's Jesus Christ who saves me from my sin. And then I am now a child of the King on my way to heaven. And in Christ, I can be quiet from fear of evil. I don't need to, to steal from people, you see. I don't need to, to, to be quiet from fear of evil through sinful means and measures like covetous practices and murder and lotto tickets. And LGBT and, and deny who I am as a man in this world. Don't deny who you are as a man or as a woman as God has made you. Don't deny that. Embrace that. And be quiet from the fear of the evil that is in this world. Know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And listen to His voice that says, come. Let's stand together as we pray. Oh, Lord, help us to build on Your foundation the fear of the Lord. Help us to choose the way of wisdom. And may wisdom shape us into Your character, O Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, build into our character the seven pillars of wisdom that are spoken of in Proverbs, but revealed to us in James when he says that wisdom is first pure. Lord, wisdom is pure. It's peaceable. Help us to be people of purity and peace. Wisdom is gentle. Lord, make us gentle as you, Jesus Christ. Easy to be entreated. Help us when people ask us to do something, to be easy to be entreated. Help us to be full of mercy. May in our tongue be the law of kindness, good fruits, without partiality. Take away any form of hatred toward other people that are not like us. Maybe they're not Christian or they don't speak our language or they don't have even our values. Help us to love everyone, Lord. Help us to be without partiality, to love our neighbor as ourself. Put away hypocrisy from us, Lord. We confess that the church is often known for hypocrisy. Forgive us for our hypocrisy, our two-facedness. Help us to take off the mask because you're a God who deals with us in transparency in your call to us of wisdom. Help us to be transparent. How many would say today, Pastor Matt, Someone is calling me, but I want to follow the call of Jesus Christ in my life. Can I see your hand? You say, I'm following Jesus. If you've been saved, you've been saved, just put your hand up. I'm following the call of Jesus. He's talking to me through His Word. I want to follow the voice of God's divine wisdom. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. And I claim that in Jesus Christ... I have safety and I will be free from the fear of evil. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to live in fear. Thank You, Lord. So now bless us today, Father. And we love You. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, just one simple question. And we would say, Pastor Matt, I'm not saved. I need Jesus Christ today, who is wisdom, to be my Savior and to guide me in the the wise pathways of life. Is there anyone at all who would say, Pastor Matt, pray for me? Is there anyone? Just put your hand up that I could pray for you. If there's anyone that there in Zoom who needs salvation, let us know on the chat. 
or contact us or email us. So now, Father, bless us and thank you, Lord. And may we rest in you, God, that you're our wonderful Savior of wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen.